Hey everyone, this is John, and this is the Nintendo Show, the best damn Nintendo podcast on the internet. This is going to be an abbreviated solo show. Um, I guess we'd be up to the mini show at this point. And let me give you a, a quick breakdown of what's going on and why our regular cycle of shows has been interrupted. As we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Ryan went on vacation or went for a new job orientation in another state. So me and Wes carried on instead of a Pokemon show, we did a sort of vamping for Zelda show. And we were planning on doing a big Zelda recording this week, but we ran into a couple hiccups for a number of reasons. First of all, for the past... 15 days now, uh, I've been experiencing a lot of like aching pain from my palms in between my index finger and thumb all the way up to my shoulders. So my gaming time was severely, severely limited, uh, pretty much doing not much of anything outside of like a quick check-in on Animal Crossing every day. But otherwise, like uh, I was trying to play a little bit of Final Fantasy VI here and there, kind of typewriter style, but uh, it was getting really painful to use my arms in any capacity. For the past two or three days, it's been a lot better. Still some stiffness uh, in my thumbs, but otherwise uh, back to normal. And hopefully within the next day or two, I'll be back up to 100%. But I have, for, for today was the first day, um, Monday the 15th, that I was able to actually spend any significant time with Tears of the Kingdom. I played, I, I didn't even play the day it came out. Uh, I played really limited um, for about an hour the day after it came out. And even then, like the playtime, I was past the controller back and forth with my youngest, Mika. Uh, and she was really digging the game. She had a whole lot of fun, like chasing frogs around and, and uh, playing with the little birds that are running around in Sky Island. But the uh, today was the first day that I had felt well enough to actually put in any sustained gameplay time but so so what we'll end up doing is we will postpone talking about any zelda until next week wes will be back oh the, the other thing was that uh we were going to record today and do some quick first impressions wes has put in a lot more time than i have at this point so it would have been good to get his deeper thoughts on the game but he was not feeling well he actually ended up leaving work early because he was, he was just really under the weather. So we canceled recording tonight, except for the, the little miniature solo show here. And we will catch back up together uh, next week and do a big Zelda breakdown. And maybe a little bit of Dokapon Kingdom talk. But uh, we'll probably be without Ryan again next time. Uh, because he's got a lot of, um, he's still doing some work engagements and family engagements, so he is not going to be able to put in any significant Zelda time either. So me and Wes will be able to do a really good, uh, thorough breakdown of what we've been through in Tears of the Kingdom and do a lot of talk on that game. But before we do any of that, I do want to talk about Final Fantasy VI, which is a game that I had been playing. I put in a lot of time with it. Um... I guess it's uh, maybe I'm, I'm going to get into spoiler territory here. So, you know, if you haven't played Final Fantasy VI before, before you definitely should. But this is going to be like a, a heavy spoiler, quick discussion about that game. So if you don't want to hear any of that, 
we'll talk to you next week. Well, I'm at, uh, I, I put in a significant time with Final Fantasy VI, and I got to the point in the game where there is like the, you enter the world of Ruin, there's the narrative point in the game where the world gets destroyed, you take over as a the character Celeste about a year afterwards, and then you're going back throughout the uh, significantly changed geography of the world and putting your party back together and getting getting the gang back together to go try to take down Kafka one last time. Um, and I'm actually at the point now where I'm the farthest I've ever been in that game. I've never actually beaten it. I do have a copy for the Super Nintendo that again I've, I've gotten to this point in there as well. Um, and I, the only other way I've had to access that game um, may have been on a, on a virtual console, but I never made significant progress in a virtual console version of that game either, if I even have one. Now my memory's kind of failing me if I even have that or not. But it's great to have this game on Switch. They've done some uh, changing and improving in some areas, maybe in other areas, not so much. But I'm really glad I have access to that game, uh, portably especially, because it makes it really easy to you know, uh, make progress and put it down for a little while. The biggest reason I never finished that game on Super Nintendo is because I was playing it you know, almost 15 years after it originally came out. Other stuff would always come up, and I'd have a hard time sitting down with a Super Nintendo you know, when I had uh, GameCube and Wii games available to me that I was playing. So, the... Uh, first thing, I guess we'll start at uh, a high level here. It is a Square Enix RPG. Came out, you know, a good ways into the Super Nintendo life cycle. But we're not talking like the tail end of the Super Nintendo or anything. It is uh, very similar in, to, to what Square had been doing with the Final Fantasy games to that point. Active time bar, uh, four-party battle system. I believe Final Fantasy IV is actually a five-member uh, party system at that point. It was a shift back to a Final Fantasy IV style where most characters have their own unique uh, skill set or abilities, uh, ways that they're going to function in battle a majority of the time. But it did also adopt some elements of sort of a pseudo job system in the way that you are uh, learning magic spells. Basically, the, uh, the, the summons in the game are called espers and they act as a um, almost a piece of equipment. Everyone can equip one Esper at a time, and no two characters can equip the same Esper when you get access to these these things. Otherwise, nobody knows any magic outside of two uh, characters, Terra and Celeste, and their access to magic is very limited. So when you have an Esper equipped, it has a pool of spells that you can learn from it, and after you know a certain number of battles with that Esper equipped, you learn that spell, and there are espers where if you have them equipped when your character levels up, uh, it will give you a bump in your stats to your stamina, to your HP, to your attack, to your magic, to your MP, etc. And uh, having those things equipped on at the right time can give you pretty significant upgrades, uh, especially you know when you're it's, it's like an automatic 10% boost to your HP or to a 20% boost. You know that adds up very very quickly and they make it easier in this pixel remaster version of the game to get those uh, espers and learn those magic spells uh, quicker because you're able to 
turn on things like uh, times four times uh, experience to not only your characters, but also to the uh, aspects, or they call it AP, um, that will give you the experience to learn the spells of the equipped aspers. You can also turn on a boost to increase the amount of money that you're getting from each fight. And the thing is, like, it's not like an all-or-nothing thing. You can uh, go through the game or, or like do some grinding where, like, hey, I don't want to over-level, but I do want to learn a bunch of spells. So you can turn off experience entirely. Uh, so you're only gaining the like the, the money and the AP for your spells, or you can turn off money as well if you if you so choose. Uh, you can turn off uh, random battles entirely, which is really nice. So the ability to sort of configure the game to the way you want to experience it, maybe you do want to have like the boost and experience and you know never have to think about doing any leveling up. And if you turn on that four times experience boost, you will be more than well leveled enough just kind of blitzing through the game. They're very, very generous with the amount of experience you're getting. And it's also very nice to be able to turn off those random encounters entirely, especially in some of the dungeons in the game. The Magitek facility uh, is the first one that comes to mind where there's, you know, uh, a, a lot of like busy pixels going on and sometimes it's tough to discern which way you're supposed to go. They do give you a mini map in the Pixel Remaster, which is really, really nice because that lets you do things like like pull up your mini map and actually spot your exits. So you have like your, your goalposts. The way that the uh, the, the the screen, not the mini map, but the actual like pixels on the screen reveal themselves. Like if you're in a, a secret tunnel or an invisible wall, is a lot more intuitive. So you can kind of like wind your way through like these invisible tunnel uh, mazes a whole lot easier in the pixel remaster. The auto battle in the pixel remaster is really really neat because not only of course uh, it's going to auto input the commands for you but it will auto input the command of the last thing you did with that character and it's probably a good time to actually get into what the characters do there are a ton of different playable characters throughout this game maybe the most in any final fantasy game and like the the really good ones are really stand out because they have their the, these are their abilities that they're going to do and this is going to be the best way to use these characters so uh lock is one of the first ones you get he is a thief character and at a certain point in the game you can start getting equipment that will allow him to uh, steal from enemies as he is doing damage um, and increase your ability to to steal successfully uh, and it's always a, a nice way to just pilfer things uh, whether it's uh, different pieces of equipment or even just kind of basic consumable items it's it's nice to just be able to get stuff just for attacking uh, uh, Terra and Celeste kind of operate in similar ways. They're both um, magic, uh, ma they're mages, but they're also very competent uh, warrior classes. So it's not like you're just going to be casting spells over and over again. At a certain point in the game, Terra will get like a sort of overdrive skill uh, called Trance, where she's able to pump out a lot more damage. Celeste has a skill called Runic, where she's going to act as a lightning rod for every magic spell that an enemy casts and absorb it so it doesn't do any damage, which is a, a, a nice way of sort of negating damage in really strategic situations. Uh, Edgar is one of the major characters in the game, and he has different pieces of... It's, it's not gear. They're kind of like key items that you put in your inventory, and it gets him different skills. Like uh, Auto Crossbow is one of the first ones, and it just does damage to every enemy on the 
in the in the screen in, in the battle, uh, which is a nice way of clearing out enemies, especially early on in the game. Uh, drill is a good uh, piece of equipment for him because it will do a ton of damage to a single enemy. He'll have things like a noise blaster, which can confuse enemies. A bio blaster. He's got a bunch of these different pieces of gear that will give him different ways to function in a fight. Sabin is a good character, and they've, they've reworked his character a bit as well. So in previous versions of the game, he has these these sort of fighting moves. So we have to do like these these intricate, semi-intricate inputs to execute these maneuvers. Um, in older versions of the game, they would call it Pummel, where he does a whole lot of physical damage, or Aura Blast, or Suplex. And they've changed the names of some of these things around, or Chakra, where he can do like some HP restore to your other party members. And in older versions of the game, you would have to memorize these specific button inputs for the maneuver you want to execute. And it's going to be something like... Uh, uh, forward back forward a or sometimes you're doing like a, a semicircle or a three-quarter circle using the shoulder buttons uh, and in some older versions of the game if something was like forward uh, diagonal left down down diagonal right down right and a sort of half circle down the bottom of the d-pad there uh, you could do like a forward forward down back back and it would still count um, you can still do that in this version, in the, in the Pixel Remaster version. However, the blitz command that you want to use, the inputs will appear at the top of the screen when you're trying to execute it. And if you mess up, it'll just let you start over. And if you're combining that with the uh, the game mode where you know when you're inputting commands, the enemy is stationary, their ATB doesn't fill up at all, it just makes it a whole lot easier to input these commands. Um, Cyan uh, used to have like this this counter when you were selecting his his skills. He would have a counter that would build up, and you have to uh, stop the counter at a specific number after a duration of time in order to do the special sword skill. So rather than having to just sit through idle time, you're just selecting his. I think they're called Bushido commands from a. A separate menu, so you can pick the just pick the one you want to do and not have to do nothing for a few seconds while it fills up. So that's really nice. Um, and the thing with the auto battling is it's going to, like I said, pick the last command that you did. So you can select the different skills that you want for the party members that you have available to you. And then just hit the auto command. So it's really quick and easy to do grinding or work your way through a dungeon where you don't have to keep on entering these things over and over again. Really nicely streamlines it. And it the those of course commands will carry over from battle to battle, which is also a really nice way to handle that auto battling. It's not just like uh, over and over again just hitting the attack command. You can actually use those uh, skills at your disposal. So the other characters throughout the game, there's a ton of the different ones. I'm just going to hit the ones that come to memory first. Shadow's another uh, a good one. He's a ninja character, has access to a lot of weapons that, will, that have the chance to like uh, one-hit KO. Also has the throw command. You can buy like uh, different types of shurikens throughout the game or scrolls that will. Um, shurikens are really good for for dealing out a ton of damage. And scrolls will do things like turn him invisible and make him really evasive, that sort of thing. 
Uh, he's a character that I like to use when he is available, but he's also one that uh, will uh, has like a, a 1 16th chance of when he completes a battle with you of just leaving, which, you know, using the, the save feature quite often uh, will help negate that sort of thing. Um, but you do also need to be careful if you recruit him, like if you leave a space open for him uh, before the opera house, you will basically have to enter the that, that sequence where you have to fight through the rats and then Ultros with just two characters. And this happened to me. And this is the only time I've actually failed the sort of uh, timed sequence in the run-up to the, the opera house um, climax. So... I had, of course, Locke and Celeste in the party. I also brought Sain with me because I wanted to get him some experience for the party. And I did. Uh, I brought another character. Might probably was Edgar, but I can't remember exactly who it was. But then I ran into Shadow in a in a pub in a, a town north of the Opera House, near where the Coliseum would end up being in the World of Ruin. And I was like, oh, well, I want to take Shadow with me. That'd be really fun. So I go and I ditch Edgar. And I go back and recruit Shadow. And then once you enter the opera house and start that sequence, Celeste, of course, leaves the party because she's in the opera. And little did I know that when I actually had got to the part where I had to use the other three characters to take out the rats and then beat up Ultros, uh, Shadow had left the party. And it wasn't like a, a moment where it's like, okay, I'm leaving now. He's just not part of the opera scene. So... I just did not have enough time with just the two characters to beat up all the rats and get to Ultros. So I, for the first time ever playing this game, I failed at that part of the game. So, you know, I just ended up going back and grabbing Sabin or somebody and uh, redoing that part and no problem that time around. I think I actually ended up ditching Cyan too and took uh, Edgar and Sabin with me. So the opera scene itself got changed around a bit. Um, you're still selecting the, the verses. I don't think you have to select as many, though, of the lines from the song that Celeste is going through. And then, rather than having to use the D-pad to sort of follow your dance partner around, it's just button prompts. So they, they made it a lot easier. I was always really bad at uh, using the D-pad to follow around the dancing partner at that particular moment of the opera house scene. There are a number of characters throughout the game, um, specifically characters like uh, Gal and uh, Setzer, Strago, um, his his granddaughter whose name is escaping me right now. I'll think of it uh, as I go through here. Mog, not super useful characters. Setzer just kind of. Uh, not very useful because it's kind of redundant his slot commands you know I've, I've never really had great success with that another otherwise he's just kind of attacking um and not doing anything real special uh, characters like gal you have to spend a lot of time in the the veldt to learn the enemy skills enemies that you encounter will appear in the veldt you use his leap command to uh, leave the fight and you encounter him again, give him the dried meat, he comes back. He's learned the skills of the enemies that have appeared while he's been gone. Um, Strago works in a similar way where he has to see an enemy use a specific skill and then he will recall it and will add it to his lore command, basically his magic. And the little girl, whose name I still can't recall, is a 
basically like uh, uh, sketching to use their sketch command to duplicate a monster that you're in a fight with and it will fight on your side. And then Mog is a character that will learn dances that are specific to the regions of the world where you are encountering enemies. And there are eight, maybe nine throughout the game that you can collect. And these are all characters that are very like context sensitive to how good they're going to be. And at their core, Strago, uh, Gua, Mog, they're kind of just using enemy skills. And in the case of Gua and Mog, it's a little bit randomized which one they're going to do. When you hit, uh, when, you, when you select your rage, your enemy skills are going to do, you just kind of select the enemy that you want to mimic in that fight. And he will choose which maneuvers that the enemy can execute to execute for you in the fight. So you kind of lose control of that character. And it really is very much like this, this dice roll of how well they're going to be. And there's a lot of different skills for Gao especially that you, it, it, it's tough to figure out which ones are actually good unless you're spending a lot of time in a fight or in several fights figuring out which, what each one can do. And it's also very much a slog to get all of these, these lures, these enemy skills onto um, Strago. To, so he has all like the spells available to him. So and it, and these characters are all different variations of a blue mage, which I think has been around in Final Fantasy since three, maybe five. But there and it, it's something that uh, that comes up in Final Fantasy, you know, fairly often. The enemy skill material in Final Fantasy seven, Questus in Final Fantasy eight, uh, Quina in Final Fantasy nine, uh, Kamari in Final Fantasy ten getting techniques from enemies and applying them onto yourself is something that has been around in Final Fantasy for a long, long time. And it, it, it does feel very scattershot the way that they do it in 6. They give you four different ways to sort of do this one thing. And I think it would have been better to just do that one way. Um, but yeah, the, I, I really like this game despite never having finished it. Some of the things that I really like about the game are just like the way that it has you do party construction um, early on, and it reminds Final Fantasy IX reminds me of this game, Final Fantasy VI, in a lot of ways because there are scripted moments throughout a lot of the game where you're forced to use certain party members. So it gives you insight into how they all operate. So in the points where you do have more freedom to select your party. You know, you're going in there with a base of knowledge for everyone, so you can pick and choose to, to your tastes. Um, and I like how uh, it, it doesn't really become open world at, at any any point. You do get a taste of it in the world of Ruin. When you first start out the world of Ruin, there are a couple of little sequences and towns you're supposed to get through but then once you get to a certain point um once you have a, a i think three of your your party members three of your friends that you've regathered you get access to your airship and then you just kind of like go throughout the world and try to solve the mysteries of where everybody went and how you get them back into your party and it's really fun just to be able to uh, try to figure those sorts of things out on your own. None of them are really too opaque. Um, 
but it does give you like this nice sense of freedom to like okay well now i want to try, try to figure out what this this character uh some npcs have dropped some hints about where they might be let's go try to find them and uh what was i find them let's bring them to different places to see how they can uh in, interact with the world now that you know time has passed uh between you now the world's destruction and what they were going through before that the other thing that reminds me a lot of Final Fantasy IX is the way you're learning skills off of Esper. So in Final Fantasy IX, they adopt the sort of method of learning skills, except instead of having like uh, summons that you equip, every piece of your equipment that you put on your characters, and there are five different pieces that you put on there, uh, will accrue experience to give you not only active skills, but passive ones as well, which I thought was a really fun way of, you know, letting you acquire active and passive skills and making it fun to actually engage with a lot of fights and try to acquire as many skills as you could on all of your characters. So yeah, Final Fantasy VI, I don't know if I have that much else to say about it. The pixel remaster looks really good. A couple of different soundtracks that you can pick from the, the traditional as well as a remastered, which is nice. It is a very like brisk game. It moves forward at a really quick pace. If you're like being leisurely about it, you'll probably get through this game in 35, 40 hours if you're like cranking up the experience and the, the money to max and just kind of plowing through with you know your your main party. You might be able to get through this game in 20, 25 hours. So it's not a huge investment on time. I'm definitely not going for the 100% completion this time around because that would involve getting all of like the the blue mage skills that I was talking about before for all those characters. And now I'm I'm good. I created a uh, an early save file. Um, where I had I'd done everything you could do to a certain point, but then I was going to get to a point where it was like uh, a, a point of no return. So I created a save file there. So if I ever feel like going back and getting like the, the 100% completion, I still can. And you do have to be careful. If you do want to go through the game and 100% at first time, not miss anything, you do need to use a guide because there are things that are permanently missable, which is a bummer. It's just one of the things about, you know, even Final Fantasy games going up to Final Fantasy X, Final Fantasy XII, there are things like if you miss them the first time around, you will lose them forever, which it's it's unfortunate. It's a way of sort of like locking out content and forcing people to either use a guide or play through games multiple times in order to see everything. It just... Um, it's not a great way to be able to consume games, especially since so many games come out. There's so much available. We're not at a point really in, in gaming where you can play through these games over and over and over again. So, um, I think that is going to do it for this micro little show. Final Fantasy VI is real good. I'm real glad it's the first one that I picked up. Uh, to play through um, I, th I think uh, it's like almost 20 bucks which you know, a little bit uh, steep for a game this age but I ended up using gold coins um, the reward coins and I ended up picking up for about 6 bucks which is a really sweet deal uh, highly recommend one of my favorite Final Fantasies probably right up there with 9 and 7 for me personally uh, if I were going to 
pick another one to play next. Um, I'll probably play through another one in a couple of months here once I've worked my way through Zelda a bit more. I'll probably go with four because four and six are definitely like of the, the pixel games, certainly the most modern, but also uh, they're the sort of a most guided. You're following a narrative path and hitting all your, your goalposts or your checkpoints, whereas games like five or three, there's a lot of grinding involved with uh, building your party the way you want it to because they're using a job system. But anyway, uh, I think that is going to do it for me. Oh, while uh, I was not playing games, I was watching a lot of like shows and movies to sort of fill the time. One thing that I did watch was a movie that came out last year. It was an exclusive to Hulu for some reason, but I watched Prey, which is the latest installment in the Predator franchise. And it, it is, I, I don't think this movie ever got a theatrical release. Maybe it did, but it is. A, it was a really good Predator movie. Um, if you're unfamiliar with the premise of Prey, it is a movie set in the early 18th century where a predator comes to earth and is trying to kill off the the, the strongest creatures on the planet and how it uh, encounters a a uh, an American Indian tribe and how they specifically this the the, the female lead of the film how she uh, deals with trying to communicate with her her tribe about uh, the, this weird thing or phenomenon that she's encountering and trying to convince them that they need to go after it because it's going to pose a significant danger. Um, when you compare it to especially the original Predator back in like the 80s, there is this really uh, obvious, like in-your-face sort of sweaty machismo about the film. Uh, really like hyperdrive testosterone movie and i that th the filmmakers were definitely aware of what they were doing and there is this some like a sort of undermining of that machismo with the predator character because no matter like how like uh, uh, grippling their biceps were in that movie the predator always had the upper hand on them um no matter how big their guns were they were very ineffectual against this thing and Prey takes the sort of inverse approach to that, where it um, it doesn't have like the uh, you know the the, the the rippling abs and and like muscle bound lead characters or anything like that. It's like approaching these characters from a place of, of weakness, from a place of uh, of uh, technological and just uh, uh, physical inferiority, uh, and how. The, the 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 people the, these Americans have to um, use the, just their their skill at fighting and their uh, their cunning in order to try to get the best of this predator and it's a really interesting look at the the, the predators uh, as characters as well or, or as like entities because they don't have the, the the one predator in this game does not have access to the same sort of technology that it did in the following films it's 300 years previous for them as well so they have to uh they, they do a really cool job of 
showing the types of things that uh, if you're familiar with the Predator franchise, you're like, okay, that's different. That's an older version of that, and it's cool to see, you know, what um, or what Predators would have been like in the past and how they had improved themselves in later films. Uh, really good sense of tension, really good action set pieces. Um, there is a dog in the movie. The dog is fine. Don't worry about that. Nothing bad happens to the dog, which is the way it should be. Uh, otherwise, no one is safe. Anyone you encounter, they, there's a pretty good chance they're going to die. Well, yeah, I, I really ended up uh, liking that movie a lot. And if you have uh, access to Hulu, definitely check that one out. So, that's it. Me and Wes will be back next week. And we will do a nice, thorough breakdown of The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. So far, big thumbs up. Should surprise no one. Really great game. That's it. End of podcast.